Good afternoon, everybody. This is a word from me to you. I hope everyone is well. It's from Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 33. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, or it means restored, strengthen thy brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ was at the final stages of his earthly ministry. He was just hours away from the barbaric and brutal beatings that he was about to suffer, culminating in his cruel and merciless death upon the cross. When he issued a warning to Peter that Satan was going to launch a personal attack upon him, and while the onslaught would be devastating, the aftermath, or when the dust was settled, so to speak, would result in a transformation of a man who would be now ready to lead the early church. The Lord spoke to Peter, and thank God he is still in the business of speaking to his own people today. Therefore, it is of necessity that we listen attentively, because Peter is representative of every child of God. It is surely a wonderful privilege and assurance that the Lord knows our name in order to personally address us. In fact, if truth be known, he has always known our name from the very beginning, the beginning of time, a period that stretches back where there was never a starting point, or as the Bible refers to it in Ephesians 1.14, as before the foundation of the world. He knows our name, and he communicates to us in many ways, but the main line or source of connection with his people is through the Bible, his word, uh, the inspired scriptures of truth. So it is to that end I want to draw uh, your attention to a few things with reference to this attack upon Peter. Uh, firstly, the, the attack was personal. Verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. The word you is in the plural. Hence, while the devil's desire was to attack the whole group of the disciples, he had his eyes on Peter in particular, because the words in verse 32, when Christ said he was going to pray, uh, was directed at Peter only on this occasion. I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, uh, strengthen thy brethren. The words thee and thou are in the singular. Thus the attack from Satan was focused on one man, and that man was Peter. You see, uh, Peter had become a leader uh, with the blessing of God upon him. In Matthew 16, 17, blessed art thou, uh, Simon Barjona. And so Satan quickly realized that this man was a threat to his kingdom thus became a prime target and singled out for personal attention. If he could topple Peter, if he could topple the man of God, the rest would fall like a pack of cards. It is very apparent that while the Lord Jesus Christ knows who we are, so does the devil, especially if we are the children of the king. In Acts 19.15, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. You see, the powers of hell know the makeup and the membership of the true blood-bought church of the Redeemer. You see, Satan is at war with the people of God, and he has worked out in order to conquer and divide. He comes and he will 
come gunning for us personally. He attempts to pick us off one by one. He isn't bothered primarily about the unconverted, because being blinded, duped and deceived by him, they are of no concern or threat, as they are where he wants them to be, under his power and influence. Of course, Satan will get them signed up to protest and campaign for anything and everything that strikes at the very heart and core of the Bible, taking sides with God, against God. Ultimately, sadly, of course, they become fodder for doom and damnation. He is happy to lead the unconverted to the age of the cliff of life, promise them everything, but give them nothing. And when they are no longer of any use, he will gladly push them over as unrepentant sinners who believe the lie and despise the truth. You see, Satan's loyal to no one but himself, and the poisonous liberals who are of their father the devil, and his dastardly deeds they certainly will do, will be left high and dry, dangling at the cliff edge of a lost eternity, so to speak, only to find that there's no safety net to catch them when they fall. Oh yes, the ungodly, the liberal left will learn the hard way, their quest for abortion, same-sex marriage, and every other social change that is an abomination to the Almighty, is any fact a noose around their own neck, and someday the trap door of God's wrath will open up, and they will perish forever. The devil will watch on and do nothing for his foot soldiers, who has served him well. But those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their own and personal Savior, like Peter, the devil sees us as a threat to his kingdom. But you know what? We have the upper hand, for we have the almighty God of heaven living inside of us. In 1 John 4, 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil is aware that Christ lives in our hearts, and with such omnipotent power at our disposal, he crumbles at the mere mention of the name of Jesus. The only begotten Son lives and abides in our inner being, our heart and soul. What a glorious day that was when we asked him to be our Lord and Saviour. The devil had to pack his bags and move out. Sin was dethroned, judgment was lifted. We were acquitted and a new direction was taken. Uh, the compass was now pointing upward, a place higher beyond the clouds where Satan cannot come. Indeed, is barred and banished forever. Glory to God. The devil knows assuredly that that same God who has taken up reticence within us is unconquerable as the powers of darkness found out at Calvary where sin, death and the devil were defeated. If evil, the one could destroy the blood-bought church of Christ, he'd have done it a long time ago. But he cannot because the Savior has promised in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what a feather in the cap of Satan. If he could discredit Peter, thus in turn discredit the church, but in the main, his main target was be always to uh, bring or discredit the Lord Jesus Christ in any way that he could. While the wicked one is in the business of attacking anything and everyone that lives for God, he has a special design on those, those who are in the forefront in the Lord's work. Let it be pastors, preachers, teachers, youth workers, children's workers. But we must always remember also mums and dads whose desire it is to train up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In fact, to be truth, to be truth be known, we are all on his radar. And in an age where opposition to the truth is increasing, an age where anti-Christianity is gaining and winning the hearts and minds of the nation, a Christian that falls foul of the devil's traps and temptations or any fact dragged out into the arena of ridicule and indeed scorn. 
There are many of the Lord's people today who never dreamt or imagined five or ten years ago, or even less, that they would be where they are today. They never darken a church door anymore. They never open their Bible. They have no desire to read it. Uh, they have no desire to pray. Uh, 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 rather, they live contrary to what they zealously stood for years earlier because the devil stormed their life, leaving them shipwrecked all these years. We need to be careful uh, when we view and see uh, such calamitous situations in the life of other believers that he that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. This attack then, secondly, was powerful. Luke chapter 22, 31, Satan had desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. It couldn't be underestimated what was going down here, the traumatic experience that Peter was about to face. The devil was going to bring him to his knees. He would shake Peter to his very foundation. All indeed the artillery of the damned would be ruled out to attack the servant of God. The vilest oppressor was to do his worst. We read there, sift you as wheat. This method of sifting is shaking with the result of separating. In Bible times, this was used to describe the winnowing process of separating the chaff from the wheat, the corn and the the sieve as, uh, as it was shaken. It goes this way, that way, up and down, to and fro, one way, then another, and there's not a single grain allowed a moment's rest. This is what Satan had planned for God's servant. He attempted to separate him from the Savior, to uh, depress him, to disillusion him, to ultimately destroy him, to cause him to cease following the king, and instead of marching at the head of the church parade, parade holding aloft the bloodstained banner of the cross, he shortly would hoist the coward's flag of betrayal and surrender as he warmed his hands at the fire, denying his Lord. Yes, the believer in Christ may have many enemies, and he does even to his own household, even like Nehemiah, when he, the opposition he had from not only from without but within, when he attempted to work a, to work for God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But when Satan comes personally, you will know it, as Job did, because this is the greatest of all enemies. Thus this will be our darkest valley, our blackest moment, when the devil comes knocking at the door of our heart. Such an attack reaches into our very soul. Your inner being is tramped on by the beast of evil. You're shaken to your very foundation. Your mind's on fire. Your faults are thrown in your face. Your salvation is called into question. Depression floods your soul like a bursting dam. Your cheeks are stained with bitter tears. You lose interest in life, your family, your children. And God seems far from you, even non-existent. My brother, my sister, the devil hasn't gone away, you know. Never underestimate the power of the devil uh, and indeed the treachery of our own hearts because with such a combination, we too, like Peter, uh, could sell out Jesus. Thirdly, this attack was precise. He attacks his faith. It's the only thing the Lord mentions uh, to pray for, that thy faith fail not. Yes, Satan had studied man since he slithered in the garden on his belly. He reads and knows the Bible, quoting it on a number of occasions when it suited his purpose. He had witnessed the power of faith down through the ages. He knows, as in Psalm 111, verse 3, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So he targets our faith. He is aware that Abraham glorified God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. 
He's aware of Romans 4, verse 19. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6, the just shall live by faith. He is aware that faith is above other graces, as confirmed in Ephesians 6, verse 6. Uh, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The old devil knows the Bible. Uh, sometimes, you know, the eastern soldiers had shields as large as doors, and they would cover every other piece of armor. So if the devil can penetrate our shield of faith, then it is open season for him. Hence, one by one, we become a prey that is vulnerable and wide for attack. Is it any wonder? The devil's not stupid. He targets our faith, your faith, and mine. If there was ever a time we needed to stand strong, to believe God, it is now. The world has been brought to a standstill, but yet people are fainting with fear. And if there's ever a time that the church needs to show and prove uh, that what we have and what we profess is supernatural and beyond anything that is in the world, uh, it's from another world, the heavenly kingdom where God reigns and rules in the kingdoms of men. We need to stand up and step out and to proclaim the glorious message. We are the children of the king. And as his subjects, we ought to be displaying faith, not fear. Look what happened in Matthew 13, 58. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. How often do we fail to take the Lord at his word? When the situation is fast and furious or the problem seems insurmountable, we tend to buckle and bow instead of stepping forth with a holy boldness, believing God. When everyone lost their heads uh, in the ship that Paul was sailing on, uh, when the storm was raging, Paul kept his. Uh, the ship was uh, tossed in a raging sea like a toy. People panicked and some wanted to get off. Uh, and to the lifeboats but Paul stood up because he was visited that night by the angel of the Lord in Acts 27 25 and what did he say in the midst of all the chaos and confusion and panic wherefore sirs be of good cheer for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me we need to be that people today as the coronavirus shakes the earth that we be not soon shaken in mind but stout and strong for the Saviour. And fourthly, this attack was permitted. Verse 31, Satan had desired to have you, or actually that means he asked for you. He asked permission from God. Remarkable, isn't it? It would seem that there's a particular day in our lives when we hear the topic of conversation between heaven and hell. Satan will, as it were, mark our cards and will come up with all sorts of reasons as to why uh, he should pick you and I out, just like Job, uh, and the Lord in his infinite wisdom will allow, allow the devil to personally cross our path. There is no indication here uh, that because of, it was because of wrongdoing on the part of Peter or indeed Job. In fact, God says with reference to Job in verse one or chapter 1 verse 8, there's none like him in the earth. You see, heaven's favourites are oftentimes sent extraordinary trials from unexpected, unexpected quarters. Like Mary, Martha, uh, and Lazarus, of whom it says Jesus loved. When a dealer uh, in precious gems finds a stone, well, of minimum value, little time is spent cutting it. But when a rare diamond is found, that stone will be cut and cut and cut again. 
Uh, and we can read in Hebrews 12, verse 6, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Revelation 3, 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. If there's ever a proof that I'm certain that you're a child of God, this is it. But let it be known that there's nothing done to us or against us, whether it's from a foe or a friend, whether it's from a devil or demons, that the Lord has not sanctioned. It has been laid out before him. He has not allowed he has allowed it. There is not an ounce of woe that fills our cup than that God has chosen to put there. And in all cases, not just some cases, and it will always have the capacity for our good, God's glory, and not the evil that Satan purposed in the first place. Remember Job 42.10, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had uh, before. In verse 12, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. You see the devil in his evil um, quest and indeed his gluttonous appetite to defeat and demoralize God's people as a terrible habit of always overstepping himself, as he did with Joseph, uh, because we read in Genesis 50, 20, but as uh, for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. What a comfort to know that the Lord is sovereign in every situation, even to the onslaught of satanic powers against us. We are not subject to a deranged, out-of-control monster. Our trials and troubles are not subject to a satanic lunatic who, who, while he despises the Lord's people, he is firmly under the control of the Almighty. And as a consequence, we can say in the words of Romans 8, verse 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. God's power knows no limits. From stretching out the heavens like a curtain to tracking your cheek for that tear to fall. He is all authority over everything seen or unseen, even to the very pit of the dam. You know the old devil's a jailbird because Christ is the warden. Did you know that? Revelation 1 verse 8, I have the keys of death and of hell. Understand, my Christian friend, you have not been forgotten, because even in your darkest hour, God is in the shadows watching and working, hence the fact that he has permitted it. Whatever you're going through clearly shows he has something very specially planned for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know it well. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you unexpected end. Fifthly, this attack was in this attack there was prayer. Verse 32, Christ declares to Peter, uh, I have prayed for thee before the assault came from the evil one. The Savior had prayed about it long before. We need to understand that God already knows what is happening before the event. He knew long before Peter and indeed before the actual attack itself that the devil was coming to wreck Peter's world. God knows every plan and every scheme of hell long before uh, we face or feel its effects because we serve an omnipotent and sovereign Lord who's not suddenly caught on the hop, so to speak, or has to scramble the angelic hosts of heaven to deal with an unexpected, uh, unexpected uh, terrible situation which has its origin in the war rooms of the powers of darkness. The coronavirus was known by God from its very origin or inception. It's not something that is blindsided the one whose eyes run and to uh, run and run to and fro throughout the whole earth. No way. Nothing happens by chance. Coronavirus cannot rewrite the script that God has foreordained to come to pass upon the world. Nothing happens by chance. 
and coincidence are not in the manual of heaven. There's nothing new under the sun, and everything has a purpose in its particular season. Even the works of the devil are used to further God's eternal purposes, for it is within the Lord's remit to use whatever means necessary to fill his perfect will, thus bring honor and glory to his name. He was able to pray in precise terms, uh, that is the Lord. Peter wasn't in a praying mode at this particular time. He was trusting the arm of flesh. What did he say after the Lord told him this? Oh, I'm ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. Yes, he would run, not with God. He would run away, just like the rest of them. And even worse, he would deny the Lord. If we are trusting in ourselves or our personal strength or experience in the work of God, we might as well try to stop the sea rushing to the shore or tell the sun to leave the sky or empty the ocean with a spoon. It's simply impossible. And while our prayers, while our prayers terrifies the powers of hell like nothing else, because at times it's not so much how much faith we have that makes the ultimate difference, but the one in whom we put our faith in that changes everything. The prayers of Christ shake the devil even more because his prayers are, are, are the ultimate in perfection and power. There is nothing that we will ever face that our Savior has not prayed for before we encounter it. The dark valley echoes with the prayers of the Son of God even before we put our foot in it. The fiery darts have been redirected before it's ever been fired. That health problem uh, that you never knew about has been healed because the Lord's seen it before you felt it. The coronavirus has already been mentioned in heaven, and it will not be the devil's purposes that prevail, but the Lord's. You see, he never stops praying for his people. Hebrews 7, 25, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. Uh, to make intercession for them. That means he never stops morning, noon, or night to pray for his people. Our names can be heard in the corridors of the greatest power in the universe. No matter what time of the day or night, put your ears at where to the prayer chamber of the great king, and you will hear him pray. You will hear your name, even now, for what affects you directly. Uh, you can find the words to pray at times. He can. He prays for your family, your son your daughter, your health, whatever is tearing you apart is being mentioned there. And Christ can always uh, declare, as in John eleven forty one, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast heard me. Sixthly then, in this attack, there was a promise, verse 32, uh, that thy faith feel not. It is the intercession of Christ that preserves our faith, nothing else. There is no doubt in the Lord's mind the outcome of this attack. When thou art converted, he was basically saying it, it matters not how many devils attack you, Peter, how high your mountain is, how deep your valley. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the great I am. I know the beginning from the end. And for you, Peter, you're going to be restored. Your faith will stand the test, not because you are Peter, but because, as in Romans 4.21, what he promises he is able to perform. Have we this confidence about what God can, can, can do? Uh... Uh, can he save my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter? Yes, of course he can. Can Ulster be revived? Of course it can. Can my loved ones be healed from illnesses, even coronavirus? Of course they can. Can that, that virus that has swept across the world be crushed? Of course it can. Yes, we asked the question, did Peter's faith feel? It failed in a measure, but not altogether. 
because Christ's pleadings at the throne of grace, and no matter how dark the age, no matter what tactic Satan uses to deceive the world, there will not be one missing when the role is called up yonder. Every person that Jesus Christ died for upon the cross will be able to say, I will be there. If Peter's faith had a field, ultimately, with regard to saving faith, he never had it in the first place. He would have been like Judas. But even though Peter denied the Lord, he had a heart that was easily touched. For in verse 62 of the same chapter, the Lord only had a look at him. And it tells us he wept bitterly. You can blow all you like at a piece of coal and you'll get no light. But if there's a tiny flame, be sure when you blow, it will ignite or revive it. God can bring our wandering children home. Yes, he, he can. Uh, yes, he can. Of course he can. God can bring the prodigal home. God can take what remains and light the fires again in the heart of the backslider. Uh, that flame that has been reduced to a flicker. He can revive it again. And yes, he can ignite the fires of revival to sweep across not only Ulster, but uh, and Ireland and, and the United Kingdom. Uh, because why? There's nothing too hard for him. Then finally, you'll be glad to know, in this attack, there was a purpose. Verse 32, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. When thou art restored, in other words, or turn back to walk with me. I have a particular rule for you, Peter. When everything that was wrong in your life is made right, you see, the church would be scattered at the death of Christ, and he needed someone with particular abilities, understandings, and experience to handle the situation. To throw Peter into that role in his present state, well, that would be a disaster. He wasn't ready. There's an old saying, God never sends a raw recruit into battle. He prepares him first. There are certain graces that are never produced in Christians uh, to a high degree except by severe temptation and trial. Do you know what old Ruther used to say? That the best book in his library was the book of affliction. He learned more from that than anything else. The greater the trial, the greater the blessing. When you build a high skyscraper, you have to dig deep into the ground for a sure and strong foundation because what is under the ground, uh, the building, because of what's under the ground, of course, the building is able to stand. The prayer warrior, you know, reaches new heights with God as a result of experiencing the depths seemingly without him. Praise the Lord. You know, Christians who have been chosen in the furnace of affliction, how uh, mighty and wonderful they are in the sense that when they speak uh, and we see their actions, they have an impact on us all. Because we know not only they are displaying what the Bible declares as truth, but they have experienced it even in the dark dungeons of despair and depression. You see, the Lord looked upon Peter and he seen a boastful man. So what did he do? He humbled him. He seen a rough tongued and rash man. Uh, now he had to give him a sympathetic voice because he called him to feed my lambs. The weak Peter became strong and one of the greatest Christian leaders of the church history. God has a particular work for us all to do. It may come at the beginning of your Christian life or at the end. But whenever it is, or, or whenever it is, he will make you ready. Whatever you're going through today, God has a purpose and a plan. He is preparing you to go forward, not reverse. You don't know where, but he does. The Lord knows every detail in the book of Providence that he wrote concerning you personally. And he knows what type of person you ought to be in order to carry out that particular and special work that he will 
or he is calling you to do. The devil cannot rip up the plan of God that he has prepared for you. The devil is not that powerful. Now I say in closing, because the world has been shaken, let us not be, but believe in a God who is in complete control and what we are witnessing today may be the beginning of sorrows preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ the King. Remember the Lord has called us all, every single one of us, to the kingdom for such a time as this. May God help us all to step up and to stand up for the Master and to know great faith and great power in this day and be indeed like Abraham as we do display our faith to a fearful world that he alone will have every praise, every honour and every glory. Because if we're doing this work for God for any other reason, we feel immediately. May God give us a heart that is sold out to the glorification, the magnification, the exaltation of the lovely and mighty Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. God bless you.